0: The reading today is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 3, extending into chapter 4. This can be found on page 273 of the Church Bibles. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli again the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said here I am you called me my son said Eli I did not call go back and lay down now Samuel did not yet know the Lord the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him the Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said here I am you called me then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy so, so Eli told Samuel go and lay down lie down and if he calls you say speak Lord for your servant is listening so Samuel went and lay down in his place the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times Samuel Samuel then Samuel said speak for your servant is listening And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it of it tingle. At the time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed in restraining them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli of the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? asked Eli. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloah, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Michael. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Rupert, for giving me the opportunity to speak today. And, you know, whenever I'm hit by nerves in speaking, I always remind myself that um, I'm among friends. And that gives me great comfort. So thank you for being here. Shall we pray as we begin? Lord, we pray the simple words of Samuel. Speak, your servant is listening. Lord, that is the prayer we want to pray. So Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you will come and take away anything from our hearts and our minds that would stop us from listening. Lord, help us to listen. And we pray, Lord, that your word, through your spirit, will work in our hearts and change us this morning. Amen. So we're continuing in our summer series on Old Testament characters, and I have drawn the Samuel straw, um, which is just fine by me because Samuel is so compelling. Samuel is a pivotal character in the proper sense of the word. Samuel stands at the very point of transition between two eras in the history of Israel, the judges, and the kings. The period of the judges was the 300-400 years after the death of Joshua when leaders, called judges, popped up in a seemingly haphazard fashion. In spiritual terms, Israel kept compromising its identity, its uniqueness as the people of God kept breaking their covenant promise by also worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. There was a lack of consistent spiritual and political leadership, and the book of Judges famously ends with these words. In those days, Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. And it was into this society, this spiritual political vacuum, and this moral free-for-all that Samuel was born. And the boy would become a priest and a prophet to Israel, last of its judges and its first kingmaker. Samuel, under God's instruction, was the one who anointed Saul, the first king, and then Israel's great king, David. So Samuel is really a towering figure, and his ministry brought Israel out of centuries of spiritual decline and stirred the beginnings of hope, their new beginnings as a kingdom. But today we see him before all of that happened. We see him as a young boy at the moment when God first spoke to him. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And in the preceding chapters, we'd been introduced to his parents, in particular, his remarkable mother, Hannah, who gives one of the clearest expressions of the logic of faith that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. In verse 27 of chapter 2, Hannah said, I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. The Lord gave me Samuel. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord. The logic of faith. I ask, God gives, and I willingly give back. Easy to say, almost impossible to do. But Hannah did and that was her greatest gift to her son. And as an aside, and it's not really an aside at all, for all of us here who have influence over a child, and I think that's pretty much all of us, whether as a parent or as a grandparent, as a relative, as a friend, the biggest gift we can give to a child is our demonstration of faith. Above the education you can give them, a comfortable home, material wealth and security, a diversity of experiences. The greatest gift you can give to a child is your demonstration of faith, your demonstration of your devotion to God, first and foremost. So from a very young age, Samuel lived and worked alongside the priest, old Eli in Shiloh, which was the main place of worship at the time. Eli had problems at home. His own two sons, were also priests, but they were greedy and they were sexually immoral and they didn't care. Everyone knew about their behavior. Their father rebuked them, warned them of the wrath of God and they didn't care. We're told they had no regard for the Lord. In contrast to that, we have in verse 18 of chapter 2 this beautiful, captivating picture. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod a kid wearing a child-sized priestly garment. And each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. So on the one hand, we have this boy and his mother devoted to the Lord. On the other, we have an old man with failing strength and his two scoundrel sons. They were the religious establishment. They were the priesthood. And this is the scene as we come to chapter 3. And the first few verses are heavy with meaning, heavy with symbolism. Let's read again, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And it's into this dim, almost dark, quiet space. Verse four, the Lord called Samuel. There's no burning bush. There's no blinding vision such as Isaiah had in the temple. God simply called the child by his name, Samuel. And in a tone so familiar that the boy thought it was Eli. And he answered immediately, here I am. And don't you love this readiness? Don't you love this energy? It speaks of Samuel's discipline, doesn't it? It speaks of the fact that he cared. He cared. How many verses are there in the New Testament asking us to be alert, to be ready? And here's Samuel springing to his feet from his bed. And he ran to Eli, here I am, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't go back to bed. We know the story really well. The voice called again and again, and then Eli realized it was God. So he told the boy what to do. The Lord called his name again. Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. And God gives him a message. God gave him a message, a really, really heavy burden of a message, really. Because of the sin of Eli's sons and Eli's failure to restrain them, that family would be brought down. That hereditary line of priests was coming to an end. The next morning, Samuel got up, opened the doors of the house as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli. But the old man insisted and Samuel told him everything, to which Eli responded, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. That's the story, that's what we know and as we come to glean from the story, let's just check our mindset as we read this and all these stories we've been hearing about Old Testament characters. In his book, Simply Christian, Tom Wright says, the Bible isn't simply an accurate reference point for people who want to be sure they've got things right. The Bible is there to equip us, to equip God's people, to carry forward his purpose of new covenant and new creation. So the Bible isn't first and foremost a moral handbook for us. In this story, we're not looking for heroes and villains. How did Jesus put it? No one is good. No one is good except God alone. Rather, the Bible, including these stories, is a means for us to discover and rediscover again and again God's plan, God's purpose. What is God up to? And it's a means for us to hear personally God calling us by name to take our part in what he's doing. So with that in mind, the first thing I want to say is that the story simply reminds us that God speaks. God speaks, God speaks to Samuel, God speaks words. Well, that's obvious. You might think, of course, God speaks. Is it obvious? Have we ever considered that is actually distinctive, that our God speaks? A lot of my childhood was in Hong Kong and all over the city in temples and shops. In homes, there are statues of deities, of Taoism, of the folk religions, and usually a pantheon of them alongside a Buddha. And people would place offerings of fruit and wine, and they would light incense, and they will present their wishes. Please get me this job, or please heal my father of his illness. And if the job was God, and if father recovered, you might say, oh, the gods heard me. But, you know, they're really there to be placated with gifts. You give them things and you hope they grant you a wish. It's a transaction. You don't expect the gods to speak. You don't expect the gods have anything to say to you. And I guess much like the gods of the Canaanites, they were not expected to speak, really. And the Israelites were treating the Lord in the same way. Our God does speak. He wants to make himself known. We're told that Samuel didn't recognize God's voice because, verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Why? Because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And this is really instructive for us. Samuel knew about the Lord, he knew the ritual of worship, he knew how to place a sacrifice on the altar, he sang songs, he said prayers, he was a priest in training. But he did not yet know the Lord. Because until that moment, he'd not heard God speak. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. We too have to recognize the distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. The difference between our church habits, showing up, giving an offering, singing songs, saying prayers. The difference between knowing how to do all of that and knowing God. And until we've heard God speaking directly to us, we do not yet know God. So that's the first thing. Our God speaks. We come to know him through what he says. And secondly, what's also distinctive about our God is that he doesn't just speak. He wants a conversation. The creator of the universe wants a conversation. He wants a response. He wants the back and forth of a proper conversation. Have you ever observed usually in a restaurant, a couple eating together in complete silence. They're just eating, and they're not saying anything to one another. Or where one person does all the talking, and the other is just nodding and eating and saying, "Uh uh-huh, from time to time, not really listening. And what do these simple observations tell us? That a proper conversation can only be had when both sides are committed, are properly committed, and they make an effort, an ongoing effort, to keep talking and to keep listening. So when we read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, is it surprising that God was silent when the people weren't bothered to listen? What's the point of speaking if the person you're speaking to has no regard for you? Or if the person says they want a relationship, but they're making eyes at someone else or then they just speak at you with a barrage of demands. Give me this, give me that. And as we wonder these things about the people of Israel back in the day, we ask the same questions of ourselves. You know, our God speaks. He wants the conversation. Our God speaks through his word, through creation, through the person of Jesus, the living word who showed us in human form what God was like. And through his spirit, God wants a unique conversation with each one of us. You know, it's the spirit that when we open the Bible, Bible, it's the spirit that makes the written word jump off the page. It's the spirit that calls me by name. But God won't speak, or if he does, we won't hear, if we're not interested in having a conversation, even if we do show up for dinner from time to time. If you've never heard God speaking or you've not heard from him, or you've not heard him for a while, be encouraged by the simplicity of Samuel's beginnings. Put yourself in a quiet place. Put your heart in a quiet place. And tell God very simply that you're listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. For many of us though, I reckon we have heard God speak to us. We're careful to not just go through the motions of ritual and our prayers are not just petitions. But it may be that we find ourselves like Eli. And really, he's the character I, I identify with most in this story. Eli had a relationship with God enough to know that what his sons were doing was very wrong. He had enough regard for God to keep up his priestly duties as best as he could. He had enough to train Samuel, enough regard for God to instruct Samuel properly, without resentment or jealousy, in how to respond to the voice of God. But the clearest impression we have of Eli is of a man who was deeply resigned, He was old, he was tired, he was almost blind. He tried and failed with his sons and his response to the news of their and his own imminent demise says everything about him. He is the Lord. Let him do what's good in his eyes. Sometimes perhaps we can be resigned like this. We say to ourselves, yeah, I made a big mistake and it's right that I should live with the consequences. Or I'm stuck, my life is just stuck and stagnant and there's something about me, something in me that just can't shift. But I'm too old to change. So this is just what my life is like. This is what my life will be like. And I know in theory that God can transform my life if he wants to, but doesn't seem like he has so far and I don't expect that he's going to do it now he's the Lord let him do what is good in his eyes is that godly acceptance or is it throwing in the towel whatever age we are whatever situation we're in weary resignation is not for us weary weary resignation is not for the people of God And here I want to contrast Eli's resignation not with Samuel's youthful exuberance but with Samuel's retirement speech when he himself was an old man. You'll find it in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel. And the context is fascinating. The people had asked for a king and Samuel had resisted and they badgered him and badgered him and eventually God instructs him to appoint Saul. And now Samuel who had led them for such a long time was about to retire and the people started panicking so they said to him look we know you were against this whole idea of having a king so please pray pray to the lord for us so that we won't die for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king and look at samuel's reply did he say yeah you messed up so live with the consequences i told you so No, he said in verse 20, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve him with all your heart. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because he was pleased to make you his own. And did Samuel say then, anyway, good luck with all that, I'm off? No, he said, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, by failing to pray for you of course I will pray for you and I will teach you the way that is good and right but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart I love this there's such understanding and hope in Samuel's attitude there's a call to repentance and an offer of forgiveness that's the heart of God which Samuel understood and it seems Eli did not When we read the Gospels and we see the grace and kindness of God in Jesus, we read these Old Testament stories again and we realize that same grace has always been the heart of God. The people afraid of punishment are told, don't be afraid. You have done badly, but you can turn back to God now. And if you do, he will accept you. Not because you deserve it, but because he wants to because you belong to him, because you are his. And in Samuel's commitment to ongoing prayer for the people, I will not fail to keep praying for you, he says. We have a foreshadow of the intercession of Christ. Both Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 tells us that Christ is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us always. When we understand that God is for us, when we realize that even when we've given up on ourselves, we've given up our hopes and dreams, God has not given up. He still has hope for us. And he still has stuff for us to do. There is no room for weary resignation. He is for us. There is everything to play for, every reason to jump to our feet. And the thing is, and this is the last point, God's hope for us is far bigger than our own. We hope to what? Become more competent, become more resilient, stronger people, better men and women. But God's plan for us is more than a self-improvement project. God's plan for us is not just in us, but he wants to work among us. He's doing something new, something that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. He wants us to be part of that. So we go back to chapter three in the last few verses, verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Every word of Samuel's was upheld as true and wise and just. So we see this boy born into a nation in spiritual decline and that one boy's obedience, his alertness, his discipline his readiness to listen and to do. That meant, that one boy's obedience meant the word of God rang out in Israel once more. Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested, Samuel was proven as a prophet of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was no longer sporadic. Verse 21, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. God speaks, and he will speak if we're willing to listen. And when God speaks, there's life, there's hope, there's new creation, there's newness. And don't we want that? Don't we want that? As we consider our world, our nation, our church, don't we want the word of God to ring out over us clear and consistent, regular. You know, every day we're told that we're running out of time to save the planet. We need to wake up. We need to have some sense of urgency. We need to give up old habits. We need to make radical changes to the way we live to save the planet. And as we contemplate our children's future and even the pressures they face now with conflicting messages on every side. What are we doing about the spiritual legacy? We'll leave them. Do we have a sense of urgency about that? Do we need to make changes to our attitude, to the way we live, to what we talk to them about, if we want to secure that? What are we doing about the spiritual climate of our day? Shall we pray? Father, as we look on our world, it can seem really dark to us just now. But we thank you that your light, the lamp of God, has not gone out. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and you always have. Thank you that you so want to include us in your plan because we are yours. Lord, we really want to hear you speak. Will you please call us by name so that we can know, so that we know that you're speaking to us, to me. And Lord, if we are tired or resigned, if we've given up, Lord, will you assure us that you've not given up on us? Please speak. We really want to listen. And give us the grace to ask you for all these things, for the glory of your name.